Colossians chapter 2. Man, I love that song. I love that song. Preparing our hearts for hearing the Word of God, and I trust that's what you hear today. I want you to hear God's Word. What is the Word saying? Now, Now, what is Paul saying? What is God saying in His Word? I trust that's what you hear this morning. Let's be changed by it. Let's, let's be, stand ready to change. Or sit. We're ready to change. So, so far in Colossians, um, we've seen that Christ is supreme. He is preeminent. Christ is everything. It's all we need. We saw that He rules over His creation And he also rules over his new creation. He's the center of God's work in creation. He's the center of God's work in redemption. And we saw that if we're going to follow this, this Christ who rules over everything, we saw that the struggle is real. We saw that it's difficult. We saw that it's tough work, struggling, toiling, with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Verse 29, chapter 1. And then the mystery has been revealed. The mystery is Christ. We get Christ. Christ in you, it says in verse 27 of chapter 1. The mystery, which is Christ in you. Chapter 2, verse 2, the end of verse 2. God's mystery, which is Christ. We get Christ. Christ is ruler. We're going to follow this Christ. I have two themes this morning that I want to bring out to you. Two themes. They're the two imperatives that we're going to be talking about, talking through this morning. Then we'll talk through two more imperatives this evening. Two imperatives from the text. Number one, walk in him. Number two, don't get taken captive. Walk in him. Don't get taken captive. Let's read verse 6 of chapter 2. Through verse 15. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been fulfilled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us 
with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. What a powerful text. Powerful text. So, number one, walk in him. Walk in him. Paul, occasionally in some of his letters, he moves from the indicative to the imperative. He's indicating things up until now. He's now, he hasn't given us any imperatives. Go do this, do this, or do that. But here, he starts his imperatives. And it's, it's not totally uh, foolproof, like there's only indicatives and only imperatives. But here he starts his commands. And his first command is, walk in him. The second command is, see to that no one takes you captive. Look at verse 6. Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So, in other words, do you believe this? Do you believe in this Christ who we've talked about in chapter 1 that we've seen, who is the ruler of all things? Do we believe in him? Then wake up. Act like it. Act like you believe this. Belief, one author says, belief that doesn't impact your behavior is useless. Theology matters. But it must impact our lives. If we really believe it, then something will flow. So now he's still going to continue to teach theology throughout the letter, especially in this section, often referring back to the first part of the letter. But he says, here's our Christ Here's our Savior. You believe this, therefore, verse 6, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in Him, entering into the body of the letter. And these two verses here, it's been said that they, are, they state the overarching point of the entire letter. The heart of the Colossian letters. He's moving into imperatives. If you believe this, then this should happen. Verse 6, since, or therefore, since you have received Jesus Christ as Lord. Better translation. Paul simply, uh, the, Paul's simple summary of this previous section, receive Jesus Christ. Jesus, Christ is not Jesus' last name, so you know. Christ means Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah, and he is Lord. Master. Paul's given us Jesus' titles of Messiah and Lord. It draws my mind back to Philippians chapter 2. Remember this, Philippians chapter 2? Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus, so what's the name of Jesus? Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's summarizing the Christological hymn that we saw in uh, verse 15, in chapter 1, verse 15 through 20. When you confess that Jesus is Lord, this is what you're saying. Listen to this. Firstborn of all creation. The creator of all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Creator of thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. Any ruler or authority, he's created them. All things 
were created through him and for him. He is before all things and he holds all things together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the firstborn of the dead. He is preeminent, supreme in everything. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile all things to himself, making peace by the blood of the cross. So when you confess, when you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that's what you're saying. He is God. So now that we've hit that, and you're on board, right? Jesus, since you've seen that Jesus, seen Christ this way, Jesus Christ is Yahweh, He is Lord. Since you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, walk in Him. You ever think about that? Walk? Sounds easy. Right? Walk in Him? I thought we just got done talking about like how difficult it was. It was a struggle. We're toiling. Walk? I've been on a couple of different of difficult walks before. Uh, a few of us in here went on a, a hike on the Appalachian Trail for a few days, and the amount of distance covered varies between who you talk to. Uh, so it's like 100 miles. No, it wasn't that long. Uh, and we hiked and carried backpacks, and it was it was a difficult walk. So maybe walking sounds easy, because most of us we really don't do much walking. Walking was a normal part of their everyday life in the first century. Um, They walked everywhere. Uh, Everywhere, everyday part of their life. They weren't driving around in trucks or minivans. I don't think. So, walk here is a metaphor for life. The normal part of your life. All parts of your life. The purpose of your life. The focus of your life. Your lifestyle ought to be in Him. Walk in in him. That's what this letter is about. Walking in him. Well, okay. How do I walk in him? Well, Paul sh- shows us right here. He shows us with four supporting participles. He shows us rooted in verse 7, rooted, built up, established, and abounding. Those four participles flow from this uh, imperative. These elaborate the nature of life or walk that you characterize believers in Christ. Those who call him Lord. So the first one. Rooted in, rooted in, rooted in him. It's an agricultural metaphor. I love how he kind of mixes metaphors here. Walk, being rooted and built up. Agricultural metaphor with a construction metaphor. Um, our roots go down deep in him. He provides us with life and sustenance. Let me ask you, would you say... Would you say that your life is rooted in Christ? That he is informing the way you live your life. The way you you walk. Day day by day, hour by hour. He is informing all things. Would others be able to to see this in you? Your life is rooted. You're getting your life, your sustenance from him. Built up in him. It's a construction metaphor. Rooted and built up. Because of the tenses of the participles here, it's kind of complicated, uh, from the perfect to the present, maybe a justification, sanctification kind of thing. So being rooted, you're justified, you're saved. At the moment of salvation, you decide, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to see Christ as Lord, supreme ruler of my life. Here, justification, rooted here. And then progressive sanctification, we're being built up in Him. 
We're being built up in Him. At the moment of justification, salvation, we planted our roots firmly in Him and then build up as we grow in Him. The NASB translates it like this, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him. And and these are plural participles as well, so which I think is significant. They're plural. In other words, it's talking about more than one person. Uh, we're being built up, rooted and built up together. Are we growing together with other believers? Are we doing that? Matt Campbell says in his devotional on this, he says, Do you want to be with other Christians to hear about and talk about Jesus? The sincere desire of your heart as we grow together because we love God and because we love each other, the body. The third part of Sybil is established in the faith, just as you were taught. So, established. In other words, firmly grounded. Steadfast. This is what happens as a result of the first two participles, right? Rooted and built up. We're being built up in Him. And then, if we're doing that, we will be firmly established. Firmly established. Firmly grounded. Again, tense of these parcels, it, it, it's, it's a present, but it indicates that this is an ongoing process of becoming established in the faith. This is what's happening. So are you seeing this flow here? You're seeing the flow, kind of complicated, but are you seeing this flow? Rooted and built up in Him, then established in the faith, just as you were taught. And that, that phrase rings out to me. Because from birth, I have been taught the gospel. I have been taught the faith. Am I being established in that faith that I've been taught? And what's the ultimate result there? Abounding in thanksgiving. Look at that, the very last phrase there. Abounding in thanksgiving, verse 7. Thanksgiving comes up often in Colossians, in chapter 1, verse 3, and verse 12. We'll see it later in chapter 3, verse 15, 16, and 17. Big point there if he's repeating it three times in a row. Chapter 3, verse 15, 16, and 17. Then we'll see it again in uh, chapter 4, verse 2. But that's, that's the natural response, thanksgiving. Sometimes, sometimes I feel like the call to thanksgiving is, is a little bit old and dry. You ever feel that way? Like, okay, as, remember to give thanks. Um, and it, it's because I've forgotten what I've been given or what I have been forgiven of. Have you ever been given a significant gift and you're just in awe, like humbled by a significant gift and you just say thank you over and over. You just cannot stop saying thank you to that person and thank you to God for his work and that person to give you a significant gift. It's just, why would you do that for me? And this gift that we've been given is greater than that. We've been given Christ. Give thanks over and over for Christ. Give thanks over and over at the Lord's table as we come together. Thanksgiving, as one author says, Thanksgiving is also an important offensive measure against false teaching. It's an offensive measure against false teaching. We're thanking God for what he's done. So, He's going to touch on that in a minute. So walk in Him. Live your life in Him. Every part of you, from your roots to the way you are growing and being built up, becoming more and more firmly established in the faith, and give thanks. So does your life look like this? Is this really the way we think? 
We want to be rooted, built up in Him, established, and then abounding in thanksgiving. Does your life look like this? Is this really the way we think? If not, submit to Him as Lord. Submit to Him as ruler, master. Stop living for yourself. Find your establishment in him. Maybe, you're, maybe you feel like you're floundering. Be rooted, built up, established in him, and abound in thanksgiving. Now, while, while you're walking, don't get taken captive. Don't get kidnapped. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So don't get taken captive. That's point number two. Don't get taken captive. And this taken captive is not like being taken captive in um, hide-and-go-seek or kick the can, remember that one? Or capture the flag. It's not the kind of taking captive I'm talking about. It's not a fun kind of capturing, hey, we got you, we'll release you, all the other oxen free, whatever. So it's not the kind of taken captive we're talking about here. It's a much more serious taken captive. It's a much more serious kidnapping. Um, when I was early elementary, I was uh, on the local news uh, because my older brother at the time was almost kidnapped. So we were out playing in the snow. And uh, we shoveled the snow, the driveway, so we could build forts on either side of the driveway and throw snowballs at each other. Invite all our friends over, throw snowballs. And I had gone inside for some reason, probably crying about, I don't, I don't cry. Uh, so, I'm not sure what's funny. Um, so, we're throwing snowballs at each other. I go inside for a little bit, and the uh, story goes, my brother comes in a little bit later, full, full of snow all over him, and he says that a car was driving around the block a few times and decided to pull into the driveway and coerce James, my brother, to come with him. So as he's backing away, we had made these little traps as kids in the snow that if you, your feet slip into them, the snow falls on you. And uh, so I, I don't know if that spooked the guy or however it went, uh, scared the guy, didn't want to have to dig James out and then take him. But whatever happened, he decided to drive away. And so I mean, I, I thought I was cool because I was on the news shooting a basketball. That's another reason why we shovel snow in Illinois, so we can shoot basketballs. Um, but uh, so I, I, I don't, you know, stories from kids. But that might be one of the scariest things we'd ever face. That, that might be one of the most difficult things that we'd face. It's one thing if I'm taken captive... Another thing, if my kid's taken captive, it's different. If my wife is taken captive, better watch out. It, being taken captive is no joke. It's serious. And here, this kind of being taken captive is worse than kidnapping. It's a kind of being taken captive that could be eternal. It's worse than that. As, as scary and as terrible as that would be, there's a worse kind of being taken captive. So, see to it 
that no one is taken captive. Verse 8. Watch out, lest you be carried off as plunder, as one author puts it. Well, what may capture us? What may capture our kids? What may capture our brothers and sisters here in this world? What may capture philosophy and empty deceit? Or probably better translation, an empty and deceitful philosophy. Today we have a more narrow definition of the word philosophy as as a specific school of thought. We think of philosophy as a specific school of thought that you go and study at a, at a, um, a college. But in Paul's day, it could have been applied to any kind of system of thought. Any system of thought. Is that, that's the philosophy. So, um, he's saying, whatever that system of thought is, it is attacking the Colossian church. And it's empty. It's no value. And it's deceitful. It's telling you that it's got value. So, this imagery that in a song that I really like, imagery of being on a planet of empty wells. On a planet of empty wells. I love that. So you see a well, and what's in a well? Water, right? You get to that well, you're thinking, yes, water. And it's empty, and it's deceived you. It has no value, but it's going to act like it has value. The philosophy is further described in three parallel prepositional phrases in verse 8. Okay? And they all start with according to. This empty and deceitful philosophy, according to human tradition, according to the elemental principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So, first of all, it's according to human tradition. In other words, as opposed to what, what, uh, that which is from God. We saw in verse 25 and 27 of chapter 1. It's from God. It's mere human speculation. It's their mankind tradition, mankind human speculation. That's what this empty and deceitful philosophy is. And according to the elemental... This is a really difficult word to translate. So the word elemental is the word we're translating. Some people will add this word uh, spirits or add a word principles to kind of get the, get the gist of what it's saying there. Um, it's a really difficult thing to translate, but it's going to be used in the text we're going to be looking at tonight as well. So I want to set this foundation for you. Uh, what it means is kind of the, the fundamental component of something. Elementary. Like the, the letters of an alphabet that create words, that create sentences, that create paragraphs, that create chapters, that create books. The fundamental, the fundamental component of that are these letters. Okay? Or notes on a musical scale. So how are we going to take this? How are we going to take this elemental spirits, elemental principles? Your translations will vary on this. Um, there's basically three options. Do we take it elemental uh, spirits? Kind of demonic, the, those are demonic kind of teaching. It's a demonic kind of philosophy. Some people take it that way, and that's fine. I think some people will take it um, as the essential principles, the elemental principles of this, this world. Their philosophies, the way they're moving, the way they're thinking, the, their elementary kind of principles, basic principles of this world. The third option is where I lean, would be the physical elements of this world. Air, earth, fire, water, from which all matter comes. My mind goes back to Romans chapter 1 where people were worshiping the creation rather than the creator. 
So however you take that, and, and it's difficult and fine however you would like to take that there, here's the point. Next phrase. Not according to Christ. Whatever the pre- previous phrase means, it's not according to Christ. So do you, do you feel the weight of that statement? They seem to be arguing that something must be added to Christ in order to achieve some kind of spiritual fulfillment. But addition here, as one author says, as, as addition here means subtraction. You're taking away from Christ. So this philosophy is empty and deceitful. It's according to human tradition. It's according to the elemental principles of the world and not according to Christ. Do we get this? Do we understand the seriousness of this false teaching? That different beliefs be empty and deceitful. They're based on humans' tradition. Our own minds, they're based on the things we see in this world, worshiping the creation rather than the creator, whatever it might be. We, we are so concerned with the safety of our kids. Right? And I get that. We want to be concerned about the safety of our kids. That's fine, to a degree. You might hear me say or have heard me say, safety third. There's things more important than safety. As we call safety. Someone says sometimes you worship the God, small g, of safety. And not trusting our God. Take us to dangerous places in the world to proclaim his name. So we're so concerned about, we can get so concerned about the safety of our children, of our kids. And that's fine to a degree. But how concerned are we about the spiritual safety of our kids? of our teens, of our friends. I, I, I don't mean safe as in hide. Pull them back. Don't let them go out and see the philosophies of the world. Just keep them in their rooms, lock the door, slide a Bible underneath, page by page, underneath their door, something like that. Is that what we're saying? Is that what Paul is saying here? Just hide them. No. Expose the false teaching for what it is. He's telling us right here exactly what it is. And show them. Teach your kids that false philosophies, no matter what they are, they are empty and deceitful. They have no value, but they're going to tell you they got value. You're going to come up empty. And they're according to human tradition. According to elemental principles of the world. And not according to Christ. Are, are we, are our kids, are we being rooted, built up, established in Him? Established in the faith. One, one way to know that is if we're abounding in thanksgiving. The end of verse 7. So, You should know, show our kids, show our teens, show each other that Christ is all we need. Christ is all we need. So no matter matter what the false teaching is, the answer is Christ. No matter what it is. 
So I think he's doing two things here. Paul's doing two things. And we just saw the first one. He's saying, know how false the false teaching is. Know what it is. You look at a false teaching. Here's what false teaching is. It's empty and deceitful. It's, it's human. And it's based on things of this world. Know how false the false teaching, thing, false teaching is. But the second thing he's doing here, these next couple of verses, is, so first of all, know how false the false teaching is. Secondly, know that Christ will satisfy. Know that Christ will satisfy. Be fulfilled in him. Look at verse 9. Verse 9. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled or fulfilled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. The whole fullness of God dwells in Christ, and you have been fulfilled in Christ. You get that? Christ is God. The whole fullness of deity dwells in Christ, and we are fulfilled in Him. You are full in Him. Christ is the only one who can fulfill. Everyone's trying, is looking for uh, fulfillment in life, right? Looking for fulfillment in life. We want um, the secrets to success and fulfillment and satisfaction and peace, right? We're all born with this innate, innate desire to be filled, to be satisfied, to be at peace with ourselves and with others. If I just had this kind of home, I just had that home, if I just had this car, if I, had, if I just had a nicer body, if, if I had this girlfriend or a girlfriend, if I had a husband, wife, then I would be fulfilled. Would you? Paul is saying that you, you don't need anything other than Christ. You... You, you have all you need in Him. He is everything. He is God, and He is in you. You get Christ. Christ, the mysteries of God. Christ in you. Chapter 1. Christ is all we need. You, you won't fa- find satisfaction ultimately in sports, things of this world, school, work, or even your wife. I heard a pastor say at one of my brothers, my older brother's church, he said... I'm thankful I, I don't make, I'll apply it to me, I don't, I don't make Abby's life. My wife. She doesn't make my life. Christ is our life. I'm thankful that she's not looking to me for ultimate satisfaction because I am empty and deceitful. I come, I'm going to come up short every single time. But she looks to Christ for satisfaction. To Christ. Christ is all we need. So if, if you're looking for satisfaction in the things of this world, if you think satisfaction comes from a human kind of belief system, then you've been taken captive and you need to be rescued. Come to Christ. Come to Him and find rescue. Come to Him and find fulfillment in Christ. That doesn't, doesn't mean things. You'll be fulfilled in Him. So maybe the false teachers here are offering the means to attain real spiritual fulfillness, fulfillness, they would say, uh, to move on from Christ to something deeper, a deeper kind of spiritual experience over here. Um, 
In other words, here's Christ, but add this too. Add this kind of human philosophy. In other words, um, you, you got Christ, but you need this extra thing to be moved into a deeper kind of relationship. Paul is going to get into a couple of examples in verses 16 through 23. They're, the false teachers are saying, here's Christ and here's an additional kind of rules, regulations, restrictions. If you follow these things, you'll know him more deeply. Here's these rules, resurrections. I mean, resurrection. Here's these rules and restrictions and regulations. And if you follow these things, you'll, you'll know him more deeply. And I think we need to be very careful with that. We're, headed that. we're headed to that text tonight. We have false teaching that's going to say, here's a list of rules. And look what verse 23 says. little teaser for tonight. Verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. No value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Really? No rules? That's what it's saying? We'll talk about it tonight. The answer's no. That's what it sounds like. So, here in our text this morning, Paul's saying, no, you have all you need in Christ. Christ is all you need. So look again at verses 9 and 10. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been fulfilled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Jesus Christ is holy and fully God, and he is the head of all rule and authority. And we get this Jesus We can find our satisfaction in Him. And we have no need to fear. Like I said, being taken captive is probably maybe the scariest thing I can think of. But we have no need to fear being taken captive like this. Because Christ is God and He rules over all rulers and authorities. So if we are found in Him... What do we have to fear? Don't be taken captive. So, don't get taken captive. Know what the false teaching is all about. But also, know Christ and you're fulfilled in Him. Now look at verse 11. In Him, also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What, what is he saying here? Our hearts have been circumcised. The flesh... The sinful nature, it's a circumcision made without hands. The sinful nature has been put off. When we, when we come to Christ, He conquers the power of sin in our lives. The old man's gone. We, we don't have to be taken captive. Verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from dead. Buried with him. Raised with him. Through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So, how do we take part in this work of God? To be buried with him. To be raised with him. How do we take part in this powerful working of God? So that we're not taken captive. As 
we worship the ruler, the one who has authority over all things. Take part in that? It's through faith. Through faith. If, if we believe, if we have faith in Jesus like this, in a Jesus who is Lord, Master, Ruler, not just a belief system that says, yes, Jesus lived a long time ago, and he died on the cross, and he was buried, and he ra- rose again, but a belief system that trusts in him and submits to him as Lord, as Master. <laughs> if we believe and have faith like this, if we receive Christ Jesus as Lord, and look what God does. This is, I hope, I, hope we grasp, I hope we grasp the weight of this in verse 13. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He, He takes us when we were dead in our trespasses, dead, dead in the uncircumcision of our flesh, sin still had power over us, and God makes us alive together with him. How? By forgiving us all of our sins. He cancels the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. You see that courtroom kind of, uh, kind of scene? Cancels the record of debt that stands against us with its legal demands. What is that debt? Sin. Sin against a sovereign, eternal, holy God that deserves the legal demand of that eternal damnation. That's the demand. We deserve to be in hell. But if we come to him in faith, in belief in him as Lord, as ruler, sovereign, forgives us of that sin, cancels that debt with its legal demands. Do, do you realize what we've done? Do we feel the weight of our sin against the holy God? He set that aside. He nailed it to a cross. When he did that, verse 15, he disarmed all rulers and authorities, the ones he is the head of from verse 10. He, he, he disarmed all rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He has conquered the captors. Those who are seeking to take us captive, who are seeking to take our kid, to kidnap by empty deceit and philosophy, Empty deceit and deceitful philosophy. He has conquered them. And look at that. He's disarmed them. They have no rule over you. They have nothing to attack you with if you have Christ. And he, he shames them openly. Triumphs over them in him. So, see to it that no one takes you captive. See to it that no one in here is taken captive. 
No one is taken captive. But if you're in Christ, you cannot be fully taken captive. Christ has disarmed those rulers and authorities and put them to open chain. But at the same time, we can be susceptible to buying into false kinds of teaching that says, you need Christ and this rule. You need Christ and this regulation. If you want, if you want full satisfaction in Christ, you must follow this rule here. You must follow this regulation here. You must follow these, this restriction here in order to be full in Christ. And he's saying, no, we're going to expand on that this evening. It's really hard. Please pray for me. That's a really difficult text, uh, very difficult, but I, I hope, hope to move through it slowly and move through it in a clear kind of way and let the text speak. So just a couple points of application really we've hit on already. Um, number one, come to Christ. Come to Christ. Do you want power over sin that has a hold on you? Do you want power over sin and you don't want it to have any kind of hold on you? Come to Christ. Right now, you're dead. Without Christ, dead in trespasses and sins. Where you are, come to Christ. He will forgive your sins. He will cancel the debt that stands against us with all its legal demands, demanding that we go to hell. That's what we deserve. Christ, God will set that aside, nail it to a cross, and forgive us. You will be made alive. How do you take part in this? It's by faith. Place your faith in Him. Trust in Him. Decide that you will follow Him. You will submit to Him. You will call Jesus Lord, Master. Submit your will to Him. Let Him rule your life. Come to Christ. Number two, walk in Him. Be sure your life is all about Christ. Everything you do is for his purposes. Grow in him. Be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. And then give thanks. How, how are you living your life? What, what is your guide? Do you feel like it's just you and your own best guess? In a situation, like I really feel like this is, I really feel like this is the right thing to do, or is Christ your God? Maybe you feel like you have a pretty good set of morals, seem to be getting along okay, a few mistakes here and there, we've all made mistakes. Or maybe you feel like you have a pretty good set of morals. Why? Why do you feel that way? Based upon what? Based upon human tradition? An empty, deceitful kind of philosophy? Just your own mind? I mean, I've talked to people who say, um, we ask them what they believe, and they take different philosoph- different ideas from different kinds of philosophies and religions, and here's mine. Based on my own, I'm king. Based on my own, my own principles, my own thought process. Based upon, is it according to Christ? Number three, don't be taken captive. Be on, be on guard for false teaching. Know the false teaching is empty and deceptive. 
And whatever that false teaching is, know that Christ is full. In Christ, we are made full. We are fulfilled. We are satisfied in Him. God is most glorified, John Piper says, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. Let's be followers of Christ who are walking in Him who will not be taken captive. And we see to it that no one is taken captive. Let's pray to that end. Dear God, thank you for this text. Thank you that we can stand in righteousness that is not of our own. That seeing the the legal demands because of our sin, you made us alive and set those aside, put them on a cross. So that we can be made alive. We can have Christ. Lord, if there's anyone in here, and I'm sure there is, who has not come to Christ, will you convict their hearts of their sin? Help them to see sin so clearly because of your word. Help them to decide to follow hard after you. To submit to Christ as Lord. Lord, will you help us to be reminding ourselves of this truth, constantly submitting to you, walking in him. And Lord, may we take seriously empty and deceitful philosophies where we can be taken captive Thank you that if we are in you, you have triumphed. You have triumphed over all rulers and authorities and have put them to open shame. Thank you that we, we will not be taken captive, but help us when we're susceptible to false teaching and maybe partially believing. Help us to renounce those things and follow hard after you. Lord, we need your help. We need your help seeing through these things. We need your help as we look at the text tonight. Give us wisdom. Grant clarity in this text. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.